Jesus House in pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential, impacting lives. This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London. God bless you. We'll go into the Word of God. We uh, uh, continue on our journey. Uh, we are at the point where uh, the children of Israel receive the commandments from God. Uh, we've gone through four of the commandments. And remember, the footnote is that this isn't just history. These are principles for life. Um, we apply them to our lives today. They're as relevant today <clears throat> as they were when God gave them to the children of Israel. The fifth commandment. And hopefully today we'll be able to go through three commandments. The fifth commandments, honor your father and mother, Exodus 20 verse 12, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Honor your father and mother. Now that commandment from God, that injunction from God is not because Fathers and mothers are perfect. I happen to be a father and I know I am far from pe perfect. Um, in some cases, people will say to you that their parents have been very far from perfect. Uh, they might have failed in their responsibilities. They might have acted to your detriment. Maybe they ill-treated you. Maybe they were controlling, manipulative, or even spiteful. Or maybe it's just that they have become difficult and demanding in old age. Maybe they've become attention-seeking. It doesn't matter what it is. They are your parents. And the instruction from God is not honor your father and mother if they are good. It is honor your father and mother, period. And so... It's not the, 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 the act of honoring them is not as a result of what they have done. It is simply because of the office they occupy as your mother and father and father. In essence, you will you would not be here without them. And so the Bible says, honor them. And you know, I know there'll be someone out there who is saying, it is difficult considering what I have been through, considering how they have treated me. How am I expected to honor them? You know, I, I, I never, one of the stories that has touched me the most, and, and some of you have heard her story, is uh, Joyce Meyer's story. You know, just to, to hear her tell how her father abused her physically, sexually, while she was a young teenager and it continued into her late teens and how she came to a place where she eventually forgave him and in his latter years when he was very old very sick she actually took him in and looked after him until um, he passed away now that can only happen because of the grace of God and by the Spirit of God. But for me, it challenges me um, to do all that I can for my own natural father, uh, because 
when you have been in the position which Joyce Meyer did was, and yet you can still honor your, your father, irrespective of what he did, in spite of what he did, um, then for the rest of us, it just challenges us. So I'm going to speak to someone out there and say, yes, you might have been ill-treated. You might have even been abused. You might have been treated terribly by either of your parents or both of your parents. But I pray for you that the Spirit of God will give you the grace to forgive, will heal you and empower you to honor them, um, irrespective of how they might have treated you. So the instruction to us is to honor our parents. The Bible says uh, as to how do we honor our parents. Proverbs 23 verse 22. The Bible says, give respect to your father and mother, for without them you wouldn't even be here, and don't neglect them when they grow old. That's the Bible's instruction. Give them respect, understand that you wouldn't be here without them, and as they grow old, don't neglect them. So how can we honor them practically? Well, tell you a couple of practical ways. Number one, accept them. You know, Sometimes you look across the fence and other people's parents are better than your parents in your eyes. Well, don't look across the fence. Accept them. That's, those are your parents. That's how you came into the world. So accept them what's and all. Accept them as they are. Uh, accept them for who they are. Accept them with their failings, their frailties. Accept them. Just, just accept them that these are my parents, if your parents are still alive. Number two, respect them. Be careful what you say to them, how you speak to them, what you say about them when they are not there or, or you're out of their hearing. Respect them. Respect them in your actions. Respect them in your words. Number three, don't neglect them. It's quite easy to get on with life. Everybody's busy. So it's quite easy to forget to phone them, forget the special locations, forget to let them know what is happening in your life, uh, to keep them updated, to really just neglect them, literally abandon them. Well, don't neglect them. To neglect them is not to honor them. And number four, support them financially. And it is true that some parents don't need the financial support, but even if they don't need it, now and again, do something for them in that regard. Uh, it is in the doing that you're honoring them. And some of our parents do need the support financially. Well, support them financially. Um, in his book, Just Then, J. John says, to honor our parents means to obey them in our younger years to support them in our older years and to respect them through all the years. And you know, this is one promise that has, one commandment that has a promise directly attached to it. For the Bible says, honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. And the Bible goes on in the New Testament to drive home this point. Ephesians, the sixth chapter, verses two to three. For the commandment, honor your father and mother, was the first of the 10 commandments with a promise attached 
You will prosper and live a long, full life if you honor your parents. There is a blessing upon the person who honors their parents. That's just a simple way to put it. And you know, I like to say to people, don't live off doing what you can do now and have regrets later. You know, there are many people who sadly have regrets when their parents have gone, including people who had a difficult relationship with them. Because when the, your parent goes, it is final on this side of eternity. Uh, there's no way of reversing it, no way of correcting what has been done. So when you have the opportunity, take advantage of it. Honor your father and your mother. That leads me to the sixth commandment. You shall not murder. What is the essence of this commandment? It really is to ensure that human life is valued. You see, because once the value of human life is lost in any society, once this commandment is thrown out of the window, what ensues is nothing but chaos. All you have to do is look to some of the wars that are being fought all over the world. Some of the wars that are being fought in parts of Africa, for example, where women are targeted, women have become a tool of war, women are being raped as part of the war, children are conscripted into armies, or look at the knife crime on our streets, the gang warfare on our streets. Or look at, for example, the, the drive to continue to extend the boundaries of abortion. All these things are because the value of life has been lost. We have, we have taken our eyes away from that, that scripture that tells us that we are made in the image and likeness of God. As soon as we do that, we don't see the other person as the image and likeness of God. The result is that we treat human life in a careless, frivolous manner. You know, that's one of the reasons why I, I detest violent video games. Because what those games eventually do is they, they, they get the people who are, the young people who are playing them to devalue human life as they play these extremely gory and violent video games. You see, once you take Jesus out of the picture, the result can only be chaos. And you know, Jesus, in addressing this issue of murder, of not taking human life in, in, this, in, this, in this manner, he goes to the root of the issue. You see, because it all begins in the heart. Murder is an outplaying of something that starts in a person's heart. That's why the Bible says in Proverbs 4 verse 23, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Now listen to what Jesus said as he drove home that it always starts in the heart. And in doing so, he highlighted the three emotions that will lead to murder if they are not checked. The final outcome of anger, of malice, of hatred, if left unchecked, 
can be the murder, the killing of a person. In Matthew 5, verse 21 to 22, he says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka or Reka, shall be in danger of the cancel. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. If you read it in the Passion Translation, it says you're, you're familiar with the commandment that the older generation was taught. Do not murder or you will be judged. But I'm telling you, if you hold anger in your heart toward a, fe toward a fellow believer, you are subject to judgment. And whoever demeans and insults a fellow believer is answerable to the congregation. And whoever calls down curses upon a fellow believer is in danger of being sent to a fiery hell. Now, what was Jesus doing? He was addressing the root, the root causes of, of murder and saying that the root cause causes as, as bad as the eventual act because once you have the root causes and they remain unchecked, they will lead eventually to the act. And so he was saying where there's anger, where there's malice, where there's hatred in a person's heart, that person in, as a New Testament believer stands as guilty as the person who has committed the physical act of murder. What does that tell us? That you can murder people with your mouths. You can, with your tongue and your, wor and your words, kill a person. So we have to check ourselves. We have to check our conversations. We have to make sure that we are not inadvertently or intentionally murdering someone with our mouths or with our tongues or with our words. And we have to check our hearts, that buried in our hearts, there, there's no anger, there's no malice, there's no hatred, because in Jesus's eyes, these are as good as murder, uh, especially when, as a result of them, we speak words against our brothers or our sisters. So the Bible says, you shall not murder. The seventh commandment, the Bible says, you shall not commit adultery. Exodus, the 20th chapter and the 14th verse. The aim of this commandment was to protect the institution of marriage. There are costs to not just adultery, but to sexual immorality. You know, the enemy wants us to think that we can, we can engage in sex outside the confines of, ma of a marriage between a man and a woman without any costs. But the Bible tells us the contrary, that there are costs. And at a time when the institution of marriage is under the intense pressure it is, we must champion this commandment, you shall not commit adultery. There are costs. Listen to the picture of the Bible paints, a very graphic picture and painted by Solomon. So, of course, we need to listen. Proverbs, the sixth chapter, verses 27 to 29. For how can a man light his pants on fire and not be burned? 
Can he walk over hot coals of fire and not blister his feet? What makes you think that you can sleep with another man's wife and not get caught? Do you really think you'll get away with it? Don't you know it will ruin your life? I'm certain that God is speaking to someone and saying that action you are taking, about to take, that lifestyle you're living, that secret lifestyle that you don't think anybody knows. The Bible says that living a life like that is like a man lighting his pants on fire and not expecting to be to be burned. His pants meaning his trousers. Or it's to use the, old, the older expression in the Bible, it's like putting coals of fire in your bosom and not expecting to be burnt. What does that mean? It is foolishness to imagine that you can set fire to your trousers, set, uh, put coals of fire in, in, your, in your bosom, and you don't think that it will burn you. It will burn you. In the same way, there are costs for sexual immorality. There is a cost for adultery. The Bible says you can't walk over hot coals of fire and not blister your feet. The fact that you're walking over the coals, your feet are going to get burnt. He says, what makes you think you can sleep with another man's wife and not get caught? Do you really think you can get away with it? Don't you know it will ruin your life? There are costs. Now, what are some of these costs? Number one, the effect it has on a family. The effect it has on children. The effect it has on other members of the family. When someone is in adultery and that adultery is the adulterer is caught or the adultery is exposed, it is damaging to the family, damaging to the psyche of those in the family. Number two, it destroys reputations. Proverbs 6 verse 33, you'll discover what humiliation, shame and disgrace are all about. For no one will ever let you forget what you have done. What are the results of, of adultery? The Bible says humiliation, shame, and disgrace. Number three, it actually contravenes the third commandment. That don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Because when you answer the name of the Lord, when you declare that you are a child of God, and you then engage in something that drags the name of the Lord in vain, in, in the mud, then you contravene the third department, the third commandment. You are taking the name of the Lord in vain. Number four, it exposes a person or exposes people spiritually. The Bible says in Proverbs, the sixth chapter and the 32nd verse, and I love the Passion Translation. Don't be so stupid as to think you can get away with your adultery. It will destroy your life and you will pay the price for the rest of your days. The enemy knows. That's why he fans the flames. His ultimate aim is to destroy lives. You know, I love a picture that the Bible paints of a, of a person in adultery. One translation says he ends up like a crust of bread. Another one says like a loaf of bread. 
So you just imagine that's what a person's life ends, ends up in when the person engages in a lifestyle of adultery. I've, I've, I can share testimonies of people that I've had to pray for whose lives have entered a downward spiral and nothing outward had changed. But eventually it was because they had got into an adulterous relationship, had exposed themselves and the enemy had made mincemeat of their lives. There is an exposure spiritually. The marriage bed is undefiled, covered by the Spirit of God, the, where, where husband and wife get together. Where it is anything outside that, that it is exposed to any of the evil spirits that, that, that roam around in the spirit world. Uh, and that person becomes cannon fodder for the enemy. And the truth is that physical adultery as a lifestyle will invariably lead to a person committing adultery with God. You know, Solomon's story is a case in point and a warning to us. Um, in 1 Kings, the 11th chapter, verses 3 to 4, the Bible says this about him. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God as was the heart of his father David. Invariably, a continued lifestyle of sexual immorality, a continued lifestyle of adultery, will lead to a person committing adultery with God. The person's heart will be turned away from God. When you think about it, think about the wisdom Solomon brought to us. Most of the scriptures that I have shared concerning this seventh commandment have come from the mouth of Solomon. He wrote all the warnings for us, wrote about all the pitfalls of sexual immorality and adultery but yet ended up in it. 700 wives and 300 concubines. That's a, a lot of relationships to have. I, I, I calculated that if he spent one night with each woman, it would take him three years and a bit to come back to the first one. That's a lot of women to have in your life. And invariably, they turned his heart after their gods. Because that's what, that's what sexual immoral immorality and adultery will do. There's a heavy cost to it. And you know, the Bible makes clear that it is not just the physical act of the adultery. Please listen to me, guys and ladies. It is not just the physical act of the adultery. That for a New Testament believer, the standards are higher. That we can commit adultery in our heart. Because God looks into our hearts. Matthew, the fifth chapter, verses 27 to 28. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And it works vice versa. For whoever looks at a man, because you know, People can think it's only the men who have the issue. Well, I assure you it's not. There are, there are, there are women who 
lust after men in their hearts. It says, whoever does that has already committed the act of immorality in their minds. They're as guilty as the person who actually engaged in it. That's why we are encouraged to protect our eye gates. Job said, said he made a covenant with his eyes that he wouldn't see anything that was ungodly. We are to protect our eye gates and we are to protect our ear gates. You know, there are some things that might seem innocent, but as they get in, they pollute your mind. And so you have to be a, a vigorous watchman of your eyes and your ears because those are the gateways into your heart and into your soul. So what do we do? What does the Bible encourage us to do with regards to adultery? Well, right after we are warned not to commit adultery in our heart, the Bible issues some of the harshest reaction, encouragements to deal with an issue that exists in the Bible. In Matthew, the fifth chapter, verses 29 to 30, and this should tell you the seriousness of this. The Bible says, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. What is the Bible saying? Whatever drastic measure you need to take to make sure that the enemy does not trap you in this, make sure that you do it. The enemy is going around destroying and ravaging lives and families by luring people into sexual immorality, and in this case, into adultery. You must make sure that whatever you need to do, the Bible is drastic. It's not saying physically cut off your hand, because we know that you can cut off your hand, but your heart can be full of sin. But the Bible is saying, take whatever drastic action. For some of you, you need to end that relationship. For some of you, you need to not answer that phone call. You need to unfriend someone, delete some number. You need to be drastic in your actions. You need to make yourself accountable you, to someone. You just need to uproot and deal with it because it eventually, if you don't, it is going to lead to the destruction of your life. Shame, humiliation, and disgrace are the portion of the person who doesn't obey that commandment. Amen and amen. Now, of course, anybody who has had challenges in this area will, let, will tell you that it is one of the most difficult areas to break out of. The difficult to break out from the spirit of sexual immorality. I wrote a book many years ago called Sex, Lies and Your Soul and doing a, a revision and an updated version of it because the book blessed a whole generation um, and there's just so much demand to, to write it. I wrote it from a place of my own experience, my own struggles, my own challenges. And really, the truth is that if you live that kind of life, you're going to be dealing with it for literally the rest of your life as you just try to just stay under the blood, stay tied to God, rely on the help of the Holy Spirit. So I want to say to someone out there, if you're struggling, 
And this, this is not just uh, adultery. This is every form of sexual immorality, pornography or any other form of sexual immorality. Your ally and the only way that you can get out of it permanently is by the Spirit of God, by the Word of God and by the Spirit of God. And you need the Holy Spirit. You can't do it in your willpower. It is the Holy Spirit work, working in you that can help you to get out of it so that shame, humiliation, and disgrace are not your portion. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, those three commandments want to encourage you to live by them, uh, to make sure you honor your father and your mother, uh, make sure you don't commit murder, uh, make sure, and that includes murdering people with your mouth, with your words, with your tongue, and then to make sure that you don't commit adultery in the natural sense, and God, by God's grace, you will never commit adultery with God by turning away from God. Father, we just thank you and we bless you. We give you all the praise and all the glory. We thank you for your word, Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God. I just commit your children into your hands. I ask, Heavenly Father, that you will help those who need help, Father, that deliverance will come their way, that even now, Heavenly Father, those who are struggling with adultery, with some form of sexual immorality, that your spirit will start that work of deliverance in their lives, Heavenly Father, those who are struggling, Father, with lustful thoughts, O oh God, that as they submit their minds to your spirit, your spirit will cleanse their minds, almighty and everlasting God. Father, we thank you and we bless you, O oh God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And I want to make an altar call. If you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ, you haven't accepted him as your Lord and Savior, you can't categorically say you have a relationship with God. You, you, and, and you know more than at any other time in the, with the uncertainty the world faces the certainty of Christ is needed you know the Bible says in Hebrews 13 verse 8 Jesus Christ the same yesterday today and forever that means things might change and things might be in flux and things might be volatile and things might be uncertain and shifting but you can guarantee one thing has remains the same Hebrews 13 verse 8 Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Someone out there needs the stability of Jesus in their lives to, to stabilize their lives here on earth and guarantee an eternity with God uh, when they leave this earth. Well, if you're that person saying, you know what, I just need Jesus to stabilize my life. I need to receive this gift of salvation that, that ensures I have a relationship with God. I can then call God my father. And you know, when you call God your father, then he takes responsibility. God is not an irresponsible father. He's a responsible father. If you want to receive him, that responsible father into your life, well, why don't you say this prayer with me as you receive his son, Jesus, and with his son, Jesus, you become a part of his family. Say after me, if you want to. Heavenly Father, today I receive your son, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. I turn away from any sins in my life. Give me the grace to live a life that is pleasing to you. 
I thank you, Father, for receiving me into your family. I am now a child of yours, born again. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. 